Hello and thank you for joining Haaretz Weekly. With you in studio, Amir Tibon. On today's episode... It's been the biggest scandal in Israel for the past several weeks. Report after report coming out stating that the Israeli police use NSO's Pegasus spyware to spy on Israeli citizens, including general directors of government ministries, witnesses in the Netanyahu trial, and even the former prime minister's son who lived with him at home while the alleged spying took place. To understand what this scandal is all about, what it means for Israeli democracy, what other countries might learn from it, and also how you, listener, can check if your own phone has been infected by Pegasus, we are joined today by a great panel of experts, Dr. Teila Schwartz-Altschuler, a senior fellow at the Israeli Democracy Institute and an expert on law and technology. Hello, Teila. Hi, hi. And our own Omer Ben Jacob, RSS technology and cyber editor who's been covering this story like crazy for the past few weeks. Hi, Omer. Hello, hello. Great to have both of you here on the show. Uh, Omer, I want to start with you. To the listeners who might not have heard about this crazy story with all its twists and turns, yeah. in a minute or two, summarize it for us. What are we talking about here? Okay, so NSO, one of many Israeli offensive cyber firms that sells state clients the ability to hack into anyone's phone and turn that phone into a remote control slave for them, a microphone and camera, uh, is having the worst year of its life. After me and a group of international journalists published a massive investigation to them over the summer, things have only been getting worse, peaking in the past past three, four weeks in the form of one, a massive New York Times report uh, trying to kind of show how NSO was actually the front office for Israel's diplomacy, mostly in the Arab world, but not just. And more importantly for us, a string of bombshell reports in Kalkalist, an Israeli financial daily, detailing how the Israeli police itself has also bought the spyware and has allegedly, I stress, allegedly used it against a number of uh, Israelis involved in very big corruption scandals. And this is came in the form of a number of reports. And I do want to say one small thing. The first report told us uh, something that we know that is true, which is the police bought this spyware and used it. Since then, there have been other reports giving more details, which I personally... Details and names, right? Details, exactly. And names, which I, for example, am slightly less comfortable in saying that these people were for sure targeted with Pegasus. And the only other big news that we've had since the news and confirmation that the Israeli police actually bought this is a bombshell scoop by Haaretz's Chaim Levinson, from this Sunday saying that not only the Israeli police, but also the Israeli Mossad was also a frequent visitor at NSO's offices where they also asked for favors, for example, spying on people. It's unclear why, because the Mossad has this capability, at least we assume they do. Uh, so it's unclear why they would need a private firm, but this is the report. Well, there's a lot to unpack here. And uh, I understand, Omer, between the lines that there are some doubts about some of the reporting, and, and we'll get into it yeah. later. Uh, Teila, I want to turn to you, first of all, with a general question. Why is it such a big deal that the Israeli police used Pegasus? Why are we making such a fuss about it? Well, it's not that we didn't know that our smartphones are uh, spying devices and that the digital uh, breadcrumbs that we leave behind us uh, can be used against us. But, you know, as the regular NIMBY rule shows, now it got close to home. 
And Pegasus system is a different story than what we've known before. It's the closest thing, I think, possible to getting into our minds, our souls, our inner, inner selves. It could duplicate your phone. It can actually get into everything that is extracted on your phone, emails, WhatsApp, uh, social media usage, photos, videos, location data, documents, notes, metadata, access to the cloud, everything you can think about. Is there anything that that it doesn't show up once <laughs> Pegasus gets into your phone? It feels like everything is no. out there. Absolutely. It duplicates your phone. So that's the whole point of, uh, uh, of Pegasus. It allows um, whoever um, using it to get into the cloud via the applications on your phone. And therefore, it is really the closest thing to knowing everything about you. It's not only where you were, it's whom you were talking to. And it's not only whom you were talking to, it's what was said in those conversations. And sometimes oh, what you thought during the conversation about the person you're talking to. Uh, well, that's a little bit more. No, I mean, like if, if I'm if yeah. I'm to- talking to Omer and the mean, at the we're same gossiping time, in another I'm, WhatsApp I'm te- and I'm texting uh, Aaron Ehrlich, our producer <laughs> at the same time, man, this guy, I can't stand him. That will also be read. But but I want to ask you another question then, Tila. Some people will say, it's wonderful that the police, that law enforcement will have such a tool. Now they can use it to fight uh, terrorists and extremists and, uh, and dangerous criminals. Why, why not celebrate the fact that they're using it? So first of all, it's not the job of the police to fight terrorists. That's the job of the secret services and the army. That's why the secret services and the army are packed with such technologies. Those technologies were developed in order to be used by intelligence forces. They were not developed in order to be used by law or or local law enforcement authorities. There's a huge I would say fundamental difference between armies and secret services and police uh, authorities. And this difference has to do with uh, the methodology of intelligence. Secret services are conducting what we call a search in the dark or search in the black. They are sweeping whatever they can get. And after that, they're applying all different technologies in order to find or to detect any kind of uh, uh, thing they're looking for within this huge lake of information that they have uh, created. They want to obtain all the information possible and then they begin to filter it. Exactly. The police is working on a very different note. They need to have at, at least a, like a, 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 a thread or something which will begin the investigation. It could be an investigative piece in a newspaper. It could be a testimony. It could be something that actually happened. And then the police starts investigating. And once it investigates, it needs to be narrowly connected to the uh, story that it is investing. Mm -hmm. That's a totally different thing. Um, You you know that my grandma, she used to go to the shopping mall and buy all kinds of stuff. And I, I would ask her, why did you buy that? And she said, okay, we'll just have it at home. Okay, so this have it at home approach, that's it is suitable for intelligence forces and for secret services. But not for police. Not gather stuff just so that you will have it at home. Um, and the fact, I think that, and that will be, I guess, revealed within the next couple of weeks, is that the police probably has put everything that it got from a couple of phones that were hacked 
by Pegasus in a big lake. And from this lake could um, police investigations or police uh, uh, officers could get the data that they needed. I think, or I assume that that's the reason why we've seen names that were really far-fetched in the sense of hacking their phones. For example, the CEO of the Ministry of Justice. I can't really see a situation where her own phone was hacked. But what could be possible is that she has been speaking to one of those people whose mm. phones were hacked. Mm. And that's how her phone conversations or WhatsApp messages could got into uh, this lake of information or this data lake. That's how her name was found there. What, what you're describing is a process that we journalists also do, and it's actually called whitewashing. So what you're saying is that the police go on de facto fishing expeditions, they get information, and they whitewash this information by finding it through another source. And I think what's so concerning about at least the initial report from Calculist, which I believe to be true, so I believe the police did buy this, they've also confirmed this, and I believe they used it for a whole bunch of different uh, kind of investigations, is that they were doing fishing expeditions for all kinds of investigations, not even serious crimes. So for example, some of them were you know, for the tax authority, right? And I think that that's what's so scary, exactly that point you said, that the police can now go on fishing expeditions and collect intel on people that they can then use to leverage in other contexts and maybe even whitewash. So I, I agree with you that it's very unlikely that we, you know, there's actually been full hacking of all these people and that even if there was, a lot of these materials never made it to court because if they would have made it to court, it would be, you know, thrown out. To me, what's so concerning about this and what makes part of this story so unbelievable is that... I'll put it this way. The the Israeli cyber market is very, 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 very big. And NSO is like, you know, the Ferrari of these services. And I think that a lot of those people on the list, it would not make sense for them to have been targeted. Just financially, politically, legally, it just doesn't add up. When we say the list, we mean the... the, the, a list of 27 names. What was published in Kalkalist that included, again, the directors general of several government ministries, witnesses in the Netanyahu trial... Activists in all kinds of protests, yeah. and and you're saying, Omer, some of the names just don't make sense. But uh, uh, so I want I want to say something even bigger than this. No, but from the, a legal perspective, the use of systems like Pegasus for law enforcement purposes, even with a court warrant, is quite simply an illegal activity under current Israeli law. That's the thing that the wiretapping uh, a law, together with other uh, criminal investigation law, do not create the legal framework for the use of such technologies as Pegasus. So in this sense, what we see here is the lack of legal uh, perception that would allow the use of such uh, uh, of such technologies. Only after that do we need to ask ourselves, maybe someone has used it without a court order or warrant. I, I think there's a, a, something you said, it's programs like Pegasus. That, to me, is the core of the story here, because there have been forensic tests on some of these people, right? And for example, you look at two of the director generals of ministries. So an Israeli cyber firm called Zcops, which provides uh, pro bono defense services for journalists and so on, and does part of these forensic tests, they discovered that with very high likelihood, their phones were hacked. But notice that they never said Pegasus. So it's very mm. likely that there are other kinds of services 
uh, in this space. And we know, for example, that there's another Israeli firm called Celebrite. Celebrite provides hardware services that break into phones. So you get arrested, they plug your phone into the machine, and this machine sucks out all your phone. So that is also a form of spyware, right? That's also a form of hacking. So it doesn't stay on your phone, but that's also in use. And we know that the Israeli police use this, and we know that they work with Celebrite. So it's very likely that all these people were targeted with other kinds of means. And just again, I want to zoom out for a second. Technology in the police is not a new thing. Wiretapping in its of itself is not new. You know, for example, we all saw the show The Wire is actually based the, on this. By the way, it's celebrating 20 years exactly. this year to the best show best in show, my mind. Exactly. So, but when you look at it from the Pegasus perspective, you realize that the police have always used different kinds of technology to listen in on people, right? So but, so the only question, and I think Tila is, is very right in that context, is what does the legal framework provide? Because it's very clear, for example, in The Wire, right, they need to show proof yes. that they can, t- they can track. All these, all these drug dealers, right? And it's far from certain that the legal framework that exists today can, you know, even authorize something as crazy as Pegasus. And Omer, what you're also hinting here is that Pegasus might be just the tip of the iceberg, yep. and maybe also that it's not only the police in the picture? It's very likely that it's not just the police. For example, there's also a private kind of space. NSO sells only to Intel services and state agencies, right? But there's... That's what they say. That's least. what they say, yeah. I assume that at a general level that's true because they are under some oversight, and, and we do know that they at least we're under pressure by the Israeli government. But I think that there's other services that can be provided at a much lower cost that provide very similar kind of spying, you know, for example, just, you know, who people are talking to, where they're located. Part of what makes NSO so good is that once infected, they keep you infected. So there's lower services that are less expensive that will, you know, lose track of your phone once in a while and don't provide around-the-clock uh, customer service. And I think that there's a massive space. Another theory that I think no one has spoken about but is also very likely is that other, other countries, yeah, it's very possible that, you You know, there are people, for example, the Black Flag movement, right, the anti-Netanyahu protest movement, which we know was allegedly also targeted by Pegasus and the police, according to these reports, was also in the past the target of, you know, Iranian fishing campaigns and all this kind of stuff. So we know there's a lot of people who are interested in this, in this kind of space, and it's very likely that maybe even other private firms other even state entities were involved. And I think in that sense, we shouldn't become too obsessed with Pegasus. Pegasus is perhaps the sexiest or big one we know, but th- this entire space is just exploding with different firms and different services, and our phones are super exposed. So, Tila, I want to direct a question to you now on, on this issue. Have any countries already implemented a legal policy to deal with this entire field of what, when you give your uh, state agencies, whether it's police, whether it's internal security, these mechanisms, who determines when you can use it, how you can use it, to what capacity? Because you said in Israel, the legal framework just doesn't exist right now. Yeah. So if we take a look at some European countries, for example, uh, Germany or the UK or even Holland, then you can see a brand new framework with investigative uh, capabilities and, and uh, supervision uh, authorities um, in order to uh, conduct such a uh, uh, supervision. I do want to say, though, that as we all know, Israel has used Pegasus during the past, let's say, Half a decade or so um, as a friendship gift to various countries around the world some of them were dictatorships which I don't want to refer to at the moment but think about semi-democracies like India or Mexico or Hungary who received Pegasus licenses via the Israeli government and have abused a, a courtsy of Benjamin Netanyahu really exactly and those countries 
have allegedly abused Pegasus or the use of Pegasus and used it against regulators and journalists and activists and gays. So in this sense, it is very important for me to emphasize Pegasus-like systems make it a huge temptation, even for democracies, to abuse them. Mm -hmm. And that's why, even if we say there are countries that enacted, you know, an updated legislation and uh, uh, created all kinds of supervisory systems, it is very, very difficult to stop yourself as a decision maker from abusing those systems. And I think it was at 2019 where the special rapporteur for the UN, Professor David Kay, who was in charge of uh, uh, privacy and freedom of speech for the UN, he called for a moratorium on such surveillance or deep surveillance technologies because he said that he cannot see any kind of uh, a framework at the moment which will create enough checks and balances on the use of such systems. So there are democracies who are actually, you know, updating their legislation and obviously Israel should do the same thing and, you know, update both its privacy and cyber and surveillance legislation. But we need to remember that the um, danger of abusing those systems is very, very high. I agree. And I would just add that I think it's, you know, very hard to imagine a scenario in which a police officer or any person gets those capabilities and does not abuse them. I think that the wider question we should perhaps also be entertaining is the possibility that this Calcalis report, it a bit overshot the mark. And that, as I mentioned before, it might not be Pegasus, right? It, it's very possible that we're looking at something else. And in, the, in that sense, I, I would really suggest that this wider field puts us all in danger, in a sense. And I think in that sense, there's nothing new here. We knew this post-Snowden, right? The moment people can listen to you, they'll abuse that. No, no questions asked. We know that. We saw it played out in the election with Hillary, right? What was Podesta? That was exactly the same thing, right? The, your, your personal... The stolen death, emails. The stolen emails, yeah. And if you look at just even the few two elections, Israeli elections ago, right? Gantz's phone, The right? breaking into the Benny Gantz's Gantz phone, phone, supposedly by Iran. Supposedly by Iran, exactly. But, but, but Omer, this, what you're saying now leads to, I will say with caution, a bit of a conspiratorial yes. view that maybe the noise that's emerging right now, some of it is because the police actually misused Pegasus yeah. and other software, and some of it could be related to other political interests and the fact that this is all related to Netanyahu's trial. How much seriousness yeah. do you give to that kind of theory? So uh, I want to discuss this conspiracy theory according to which this story came out because it helps Netanyahu. That logic of this theory goes as such. We know Netanyahu used Pegasus to advance his diplomatic ends. What, what Teila mentioned, that basically Israel it's, shopped it all yeah, over yeah, the world. Yeah. We, we sucked up to, to India. To democracies and, no, yeah. and dictatorships yeah. alike. You look at the voting patterns in the UN and there's, you know they follow sales to Pegasus during Netanyahu's term. And by the same token, now that Netanyahu is no longer prime minister and no longer has diplomatic interests but has personal legal interest to make sure he's not convicted. He's now using Pegasus in the exact same way to advance his interests. This is the theory. This is the conspiracy. Proven. No, no, it's not proven at all. But the but the, lo the logic of this conspiracy theory goes that Netanyahu or people close to Netanyahu leaked this information to Kalkalist, and then the story was published, thus casting kind of shade or doubt on the police and, you know, raising a whole debate about whether the trial, the people in Netanyahu's trial were, were involved in this or not. I don't know. We, we'll never know. But what I do think is interesting is that according to the test that the police or the Inquiry Commission set up in wake of these news, it hasn't found much tr proof of Pegasus. Uh, just to put our, our listeners on the same yeah, line yeah. with us here, basically, the Kalkalis report uh, mentioned 27 names, as you 
you said earlier. And so far, this inquiry, which again is conducted by no, the yeah, police yeah. and the prosecution, says that maybe three of them yeah. were uh, possibly, uh, possibly by, like, targeted for something by yeah. the police. And yeah. the police claims that only in one case it was without a warrant. Although I will go back to what Teila says, that even with a warrant, there's a big problem with the very use of the system. Yeah. But it does cast some doubt on the big report that started the whole frenzy. Yeah. And I think the answer is that even if this conspiracy theory is partially true, it doesn't mean that the report is not also partially true. I think that's the point. So I think Netanyahu is, has always been, this is my political opinion, not as a tech reporter, Netanyahu has always been good at taking advantage of things for his benefit. And I think it's very possible this is also happening now. But that being said, I truly believe the police bought Pegasus. And I think they bought Pegasus because they're the perfect client. All the clients across the world are countries that can't develop this by themselves. Israel has these capabilities. The Shin Bet, the Mossad probably have these capabilities. And the police are jealous. They wanted it for they themselves. They wanted the toy, the cool, the, the, the so, old saying, the boys and their toys. So I want to ask you you know continuing with what Omar just said is there a way back from here or is this new kind of very frightening surveillance state just the new reality in Israel and other democracies listen I'm raising my kids in Israel I want a better future for them I want them to remain you know free and creative and uh, we're going to continue fighting for the right to privacy but what's I think important to be emphasized here is the fact that when we talk about the use of those you new technologies it's certainly not only those secretly remoted uh, surveillance uh, uh, technologies it could be uh, systems like what we call the hawk eye the traffic monitoring system in Israel or facial recognition systems or also uh, uh, Pegasus those are all neutral way of describing the shift as I said before from intelligence methods used by the police until now to intelligence methods deployed by secret services and And, and militaries and I think that's the point here we need to conduct a public discussion both in Israel and in other democracies in order to create the perceptual framework of using such technologies we should ask ourselves whether okay it's the cyber world but it's like giving the police the ability to use let's say I don't know cluster bombs instead of vadens or or uh, Um, tanks why not give or, the police tanks exactly or or uh, or in, or interrogate uh, criminal suspects with the methods uh, that are used are used against terrorist uh, suspects this is not something we should so easily conduct and 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 this leap is is so so dangerous and obviously the police authorities wanted to have those you clean techie abilities that the Shin Bet or the Mossad or even the army intelligence had but there's a huge I think moral and social questions that needs to be asked now so it's not only about creating the right legal framework it's first of all um, the creation of this social and moral discussion um, about the need and yes maybe the police would not be as effective as the Shin Bet but at least we're going to be more uh, safe from abuses of this uh, type of system. It reminds me of the time in like the early 90s when we all discovered the internet and we started to get viruses and then there was this great business model called antiviruses remember those so I think that that's it for me we're having this societal moment more and more now where we realize that our phones are as exposed as our computers and I think we need to all learn how to kind of 
keep ourselves safe. And I think I can only hope that the Eli is right and that there's going to be a wider, broader social conversation because me personally, I'm not, I don't believe but, regulation will save us. But Omer, what's the mask wearing of Pegasus then? <laughs> I'm going to, I don't know if there's a vaccine, but what, what's the mask wearing? <laughs> what do you mean? Like what's the equivalent of how like... How can you protect <laughs> yourself? I, I want to ask you first later, how do you know if you have it? But mm. how do you protect yourself from even getting it? Uh, wow, that's a really, really, really good question. So I think there's a lot of kind of good safe practices that people should have. So just a few things that cyber people like or people in the cyberspace will tell you, never use free Wi-Fi. Like seriously, like never, ever, ever. Not even in the Haaretz building? Not even in the Haaretz. No, in the Haaretz building you can, but not, <laughs> don't, don't use those free coffee house Wi-Fis because they're really easy to hack. Mm-hmm. Um, don't use VPNs. Just like if you download illegally, don't use VPNs. They're literally like a backdoor to your phone. Never, ever, 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 never, ever, 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 ever open any link from anyone that you did not expect. Mm-hmm. that you did not expect not your mom sends you a link and you trust your mom unless you said mom send me the dropbox link and then she sends you the Dropbox. Mm-hmm. don't open the link and check i check with my wife all the time hey honey did you send me this so that's just like general good practice kind of stuff that you should kind of know and generally i also say and just to, to circle back to the kind of list question it's very hard to know donald rumsfeld famously said that there's the known unknowns and unknown unknowns and i think pegasus is on kind of on the border between that because half of what pegasus and programs like it know how to do is cover their tracks so it's actually you might be infected and be completely asymptomatic and uh, <laughs> and not because you're vaccine that's the problem right so you can be asymptomatic even though you're not vaccinated in that point it's very hard to know so unless we it's unless like the, the, your phone gets tested by the proper test in real time it's very hard so to figure we'll this out about in a second. Uh, Taylor, I, I do want to ask you something that goes back more to the policy front. Do you sense maybe a shift in tone on this issue from Israeli politicians after the latest reporting? Because for a long time, whenever nudniks at Haaretz, like Omer, would yes. uh, report about this issue, what we would mostly hear from the politicians, especially the senior leadership, is that at the end of the day, this serves Israeli national security and our foreign policy. Uh, is there a change in tone now? Yeah, I certainly think so. And from the surveys that we have conducted at the Israel Democracy Institute, uh, we've seen that both lefties and righties in Israel are very concerned about... Uh, public uh, opinion is moving uh, you. Yeah, t- public opinion is certainly shifting because it serves the interests of each uh, political side. But another thing I wanted to add on what Omer just said Um, Omar was talking to professionals, and I want to talk a little bit more about the general public. Yeah. I think the general public needs to have, um, I would say, a wider understanding of technology. Maybe we can call it digital literacy. Um, and in this sense, first and foremost, before you start talking about all those words that most people don't understand, like Wi-Fi and VPN, um, I think what we do need to understand is that this claim that I don't care because I've got nothing to hide um, is the most dangerous thing um, for sure, for sure. I think around this, uh, this uh, discussion. Because people say, you know, anyway, the tech giants know everything about us, so why do I care? And anyway, I love my phone. Um, and stuff like that. But we need to remember that the impact of any information that is being collected by the government, unlike the tech giants and the police obviously in particular, that uh, the impact of those uh, of this data is huge because this information can eventually become evidence for event investigations, for arrests, for sentencing us to jail time. And Google and Facebook cannot, do that at least as far as I know. So in this sense, I think it's very, very important to understand how serious this story of 
abusing such systems by the police is. So, uh, yeah, I think that's a very, very important point. It's, uh, it's not about just the fact that your information is known to others, but it's the power that those others have to, to do things with that information. Omer, so the million dollar question, how can you find out if your phone was hacked, infected by one of these apps? So I think that's a very good... Uh, is, is there like a, you know, a PCR test? <laughs> the PCR tests are quite expensive, but there are antigens. There are rapid tests that you can do. <laughs> that's a very good question. I love that you asked me what's the million dollar question because that's actually not that far from the price of targeting someone. So I think it is actually a it, million... It, a million dollar to target a person? So we know NSOs are the very high end of this market. Like if you have, from based on leaks and what we generally know, if you have like... So if I go now to NSO and I want to, to spy on my neighbor... Because I think they're going to expand theory, their garden. Not supposed to do they're, that. they're going to expand their garden into our <laughs> backyard. It's they will the price tag will be a million dollars. In a world in which a private person could come to NSO, yes, it would cost a million dollars. Generally, the NSO is super expensive, and the targets go for roughly like a hundred, a hundred fifty thousand dollars a pop. Mm-hmm. So it's very expensive. The license with NSO, you buy like a bundle. You get like forty numbers for forty days or something mm-hmm. like that. So you have different kind of different restrictions, and it's very expensive. And though I don't want to bum anyone out, most likely is you have not been targeted by Pegasus. Let's just put that out there. <laughs> so now, you know, and how do you and, find and, that out? Okay, so let's but let's make let's assume that you're concerned. Okay, so there you have a few options. Your best, 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 best option is to download something called MVT. So MVT is a mobile uh, verification test. It's a toolkit created by Amnesty International. And I won't explain to you how it works, but it generally it allows you to run a program on your computer that can scan a backup of your phone. The problem is that it's actually a bit techy. Like you have to know how to, create a backup of your phone. You have to know how to run these programs. So it's a bit of a mess. But that is like, in a sense, the best way if you're a home user and you're actually like, you're a journalist, you're a human rights activist, you actually believe that you're a prominent lawyer, you think there's actual cause to concern, that's what you should do. And if not, you can also, if, if you don't know how to do it yourself, you can find someone with basic tech background who can help you. It really doesn't take long. The second kind of way to go is to download. There are a few apps that provide either defense or testing. So there's an app that uh, Amnesty was involved in creating called iMazing, mm-hmm. so like I and Amaze, so iMazing, which will provide a very similar service to the MVT and scan your phone. And there's also a pretty good antivirus uh, for your phone that will also tell you if you're currently infected called Bodyguard uh, by an Israeli Indian firm called Safehouse. Uh, so those are all legit options. And if I can just plug myself for a second, if you actually think you've been targeted, please reach out to me. My email is on the Haaretz website. No, seriously. And I will, I will get you tested. Mm, all right. And we can get a great story out of that. And, and by Please. the way, I, I have to say, if you're interested in this, uh, you really should go to arts.com and get a, a writer alert for Omer Ben Jacob and follow his great reporting on this because we, we've really had so much interesting stories. And if you want to keep up to date, that's the best thing. You and can I'll do. just tease out that there's going to be two new NSO revelations this week. All right. We can't wait. Taylor, last, last question to you on this. Looking back on how this was celebrated at the time by Netanyahu, who promoted Pegasus and marketed it to other countries, and now that we see how it was used at home, uh, do you think maybe there's a, now time for a reckoning here in Israel on this one? Oh, yes, absolutely. This story clearly shows us the slippery slope in action. Uh, when intru- intrusive uh, surveillance technologies is made available for sale to dictatorships, It's only a matter of time before it is used against citizens uh, in democracies. And also when technology is used illegally in order, let's say, to combat serious crimes, it will eventually be used against demonstrators and political rivals and so on and so forth. 
And I also wanted to add something to what Omer just said before. If you have any kind of a fight with your neighbor, you absolutely don't need to go to buy or purchase <laughs> a license um, of Pegasus. Go to your closest private investigators. He will go to his friends in the police and they will get into the data sets of the police and get everything you need. <laughs> For you. Well, I, I just want to say you know, to, to Avishai, my dear neighbor, who sometimes <laughs> listens to our podcast, you know, you know I love you, man, and I will never use the Pegasus. All right, friends, this has been a fascinating discussion. I really want to thank you both so much. I learned a lot, and I think you made great points. Tila Schwarz-Altschuler from the Israeli Democracy Institute and our own Omer Ben-Jacob, thank you very much for joining us today. A pleasure. Thanks for having me. And that's it for today's episode. Thank you very much to our producer, Aaron Ehrlich, and to you listeners for joining us. We'll be back again on Friday with a new episode of Haaretz Weekend. Until our next meeting, Shalom from Tel Aviv.